was so blessed and encouraged and, and convicted about Sunday through the message, and it, it caused me to uh, make some changes. How about you guys? And what God put on my heart to do was every night before I put my kids to bed, we, we've been opening the scripture. It's just five minutes, five, ten minutes, but we're having a little you know, devotion before they go to bed. And um, the last thing on their heart I want as they go to sleep is, is the Lord Jesus. And uh, we pray over that. And we've been going through First John. And um, I'm trying to put the fear of the Lord in a few of my kids. <laughs> they don't fear anything. And um, so I've just been talking about what it means to walk in holiness and how sin is no light thing to God. And you can't say that you have fellowship with God if you're walking in darkness. And last night the, the conversation got, I don't know how we ended up on talking about Ahab and Jezebel. And uh, I told the story of Ahab and Jezebel and how the dogs licked the blood of Jezebel's corpse. <laughs> and then uh, Zuri, she's like, why did they throw her off of the building? Why, why, why did the dog? And she just had so many questions about that. And she just kept thinking about that. And, and I told her, you know, Jezebel was a beautiful woman, but her heart was far from God. And I, I, I tried to. Tell her it's not, it doesn't matter how you look on the outward. God is looking at your heart. And so just, I want to encourage us in times like this, you can be discouraged or you can, you can press into God. You can lead your family to, to, to love the Lord and to serve Him in times like this. And this is what I was convicted about on, on um, Sunday. So, alright, enough of that. Let's take our Bibles tonight to Psalm 44. We're going to continue in our study. Through Psalm tonight, Psalm is a it's a longer Psalm, so I won't be able to go all the way through or, or hit every verse tonight. However, we're going to dig into this Psalm, and the title tonight is "Like Sheep to the Slaughter." Like sheep to the slaughter, Psalm 44. Now, that doesn't sound encouraging, does it? <laughs> Well, there were seasons in the nation of Israel where they were in disobedience to God, when they were not right with their Lord, who had made a covenant with them. And oftentimes, in those seasons, God would show grace. He showed grace for a, for a honestly, a long time, 60, 70 years at times. And then finally, he would judge them. Finally, he would allow foreign nations to come in and, and destroy them and to take them off into slavery and to spoil their goods and to take them to these foreign lands. And oftentimes we see, you know, if you study the prophets in the Old Testament, uh, each time before God would judge them, he would send a prophet. He would send men to go in and warn them, hey, you guys have strayed away from God, you have gotten caught into the sin of the, the surrounding nations, and, and God's going to judge you. And the prophets, they were all killed because the people didn't want to hear that. Doesn't that sound familiar today? People don't want to hear the message of repentance. They don't want to hear about a, a God who will judge sin, who will deal with uh, his people. And, and um, so this is where we find it in the psalm today, Psalm 44. Uh, they're in a difficult season, I think a season of judgment from God. And we're going to look at how uh, this psalmist is, is, 
thinking about this and, 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 and meditating on where they're at and, and remembering God and what He had done in the past. And we're gonna, we're gonna go through this quickly tonight. If you're with me in your Bible tonight, Psalm 44, say Amen. I want you to notice with me, first of all, tonight, in the beginning of this psalm, the psalmist, he's going to remember God's past victories. He's going to remember what God had done in the past. Look at Psalm 44, verses 1 through 3. We have heard with our ears, O God. Our fathers have told us the deeds you did in their days, in the days of old. You drove out the nations with your hand, but them you planted. You afflicted the people and cast them out, for they did not gain possession of the land by their own sword, nor did they, <clears throat> nor did their own arm save them, but it was your right hand, your, your arm, and the light of your countenance, because you favored them. The psalmist is going to begin this song remembering God's past victories. And he, he learned of these victories from hearing the testimony from his fathers, from those who were before him. And the fathers had a responsibility to teach the children of what God had done in the past. And we see it all throughout Scripture that we as fathers have been committed the responsibility to, to pastor our families, to teach our kids the fear of the Lord, to uh, instill into them uh, and, and remind them of and teach them of what God has done. And the psalmist was uh, a recipient of this this legacy from his father. And I don't think it was just his father. I think it was the elders in the area, uh, maybe his grandparents, but they had all told him of the deeds that God had done in the past. I want to ask you tonight, are we doing well with this mission? We also have been given that same, uh, that same challenge by God to teach our kids, to tell it to our grandkids, to pour into the generation that's coming after us and tell them of the mighty works of God. Now, I was thinking about this. Uh, just today and just meditating on this more. And, you know, we can read about many revivals in, in history past. We can, we can hear about the exploits of God for generations before us. But what my heart's cry is, and I know many of your heart's cry is tonight, is for we to see a move of God in this generation. But until we do see that move, we've got to point back to what God has done. We have to point to the scriptures and point to our own personal testimony of when God delivered, when God showed up, when he wrought mighty victories in our lives. The psalmist, he, got, he received this information from his, the older generation and they were careful to tell him of what God had done. Now, they were not only telling about personal experience, but they were telling about battles and conquests that had happened long before they were born as well. They were pointing back to when God took his people out of the most powerful nation in the world, Egypt, and he, through many signs and wonders, he brought them out. He delivered them, and, and then he brought them into a land, and we know that it was his plan for them to make their way into the land that had been promised to Abraham. It was God's plan for them to make it there in literally a few weeks but we know there was the delay 40 years and only a few were found righteous to enter into the promised land I was, I was also meditating on that today hey if we don't step up to the call if we aren't serious about seeking God 
God will wait till the next generation to send his power. God will uh, say uh, he will delay his hand and his moving. And that's what he did for the children of Israel. When they were in the wilderness, they, they strayed from God. They did not have uh, the heart that they should for God. They feared those who were in the land more than they feared God. And I was thinking about this today, too. As we look at our nation's current state, as we look at the giants that we seemingly are facing, are you guys fearful or are you hopeful? I want to ask you that question. Are you fearful? Would you be like those those ten spies who came back and gave a bad report because there were giants in the land, even though God had already promised that he would give them the land? Or will you be like Joshua and Caleb? Who believe God. You see, when we have a big God, then our problems are small. But when you have a small God and you aren't close to Him, you don't, you haven't experienced His power, you're gonna have big problems. And I've learned this. I think many in the church have yet to experience the great victories that God can, can wrought in our lives because they don't take risks. They don't have the faith. They live their lives, uh, in conservation mode. They don't ever, uh, go and try to, uh, let God use them and step out in faith. And so you don't have any war stories. You don't have any victory stories. You don't have any testimonies to share with your kids. Do you have a testimony tonight to share with your kids? Would be God. I want my kids to see us live out faith. You know, it's really simple. Your kids should see you write, write your tithe check every week. Do you tell your kids that you give? Do you show that to them? Hey, God has blessed us with this. But look, the first fruits of that is for him, son. Let me show you this. And let me tell you the testimonies of how God has provided, how he showed up, how he's blessed us and, and never once have we gone without because we have honored him and he has shown himself to be faithful to his word. I'm telling you, that's just a small area, but I'm just going to tell you something. There are people who you don't see a move of God in your life. It's because you don't step out in faith. You don't believe that he is who he says he is. But the psalmist begins the psalm reflecting on what he had heard from his his father and from those before him of the great works and the conquest that God had wrought. And I want you to know tonight, God isn't done working. The darker the night, the brighter the light, family. It may seem like this, you know, in this nation that we're hopeless, that there's, we're at the point of no return. Well, I don't believe that. I believe God is able to uh, bring a revival. He's able to turn back the tide and he's able to use us or, or even if he decides not to, that he's going to use us in this type of a, uh, of a climate. He's going to use us to be salt and light in this type of a generation so that he receives glory in how we live faithfully for him in this season. So I want to encourage you guys with that tonight. The psalmist began by remembering what God had done. He goes on, he says, you, you drove out the nations with your hand, but them you planted. You remember in that land, in that promised land, there were many nations. There were strong nations, far stronger than Israel, far larger in number than Israel. But God drove them out. God then planted them in there. 
And the, uh, the psalmist is reminding, he's he reflecting on what God had done. He drove out the Canaanites. He drove out uh, all of those in the land and he gave them a land that was, uh, was one that they did not till. He gave them vineyards that they did not plant. He, he gave them a land flowing with milk and honey. He, he did that. God did that. And he goes on, he says, it was not our sword. It was not by our power. It was not because of our conquest. We know that there were several battles that they did have to fight um, during these conquests. But I think about the battle of Jericho, where that city was so fortified. And there was, of course, these walls that were so big that there were houses on them uh, that a chariot can ride on top of the walls of, of this fortified city. But we know how God brought the walls of Jericho down. Uh, they All they did was walk around and, and worship and blew horns. And, and, and after the seventh time around, uh, God caused that those walls to come tumbling down. God did that. He put the fear of him, of the nation of Israel, in the hearts of these, these men so that they couldn't even fight. I'm telling you, this is what God did to bring them into the land. And I want to just encourage somebody tonight. Remember what God has done in your life. Remember the conquest that he has wrought in your life. Remember how he brought you out. Some of you, he brought you out of drug addiction, out of, out of all types of bondages. And he brought you into the promised land. You are now a child of the king. You are free indeed. And I'm telling you, sometimes we've got to go back into our minds and remind ourselves what God has done. And reflect on that. This is what he's doing. He said that they did not gain possession of the land by their own sword, but it was through his right hand. And I want you to see, he goes on, he says, the light of your countenance because you favored them You favored them. I want you to know something tonight. He understood that the favor of the Lord was of the utmost importance. Do you have the favor of God on your life? Is it evident that God is with you? We see it throughout Scripture when God's hand is on a a person, when someone has his favor on them. Or a nation has his favor on it. I believe America used to be a nation who we, we could declare that we had God's favor on us. I believe it was Alex de Tocqueville. He, he came to America, a French uh, researcher, and he wanted to try to understand why America was so far ahead of the world technologically, uh, just how we were so blessed, how there was so much, by the way, of commerce and, and how we were, our military was so strong. How, how was it that we were so uh, successful in every plane? He said, I look for it in the, in the fertile fields. I look for it in this commerce. and I look for it in, in many other places. But when I went to the church... And I saw the pulpits aflame with fire. Then I knew that I knew why America was great, because America is good. And when America ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Aren't we seeing that? Hey, you know what God's really been putting on my heart? Just really just, I think, revealing to us. And we're seeing it play out in the in the in the church culture in America. The problems in America isn't with the heathen. 
It isn't with those who do not know him, so to speak. There's many things that God is going to deal with with them. Don't get me wrong. God is, the Bible says he is angry with the wicked. He sees the unrighteousness. He sees the, the, the children being exploited. He sees the, the perversion being promoted. He sees that and he's going to judge that. But I want you to understand something. And I talk about this often, but when God comes back, he's going to deal with us first. The church. You know, we're, I say this a lot too. We are called to be salt and light. Do you guys know what salt was in its day? It was a preservative. It preserved, if there was an animal that was slaughtered, they would cover it in salt. They, would, they didn't have refrigeration. Salt was so valuable, but it, it stopped things from, from decaying. You got, y'all want to know why this country is decaying? And it's not because of what the politicians are promoting. It's because we can't get people to come to prayer. Christians don't press in to God. You know, we saw it a few weeks ago. This, um, you know, just I can mention a lot of things. But I'm not going to spend the time tonight, but I want to just begin. I'm not. I didn't come in the pulpit tonight to to lash out or to be <laughs> to, to reprimand anybody. This is where I believe the Lord is leading tonight. But I want to tell you something, church. We've got to repent. We have got to, the church, Christians, of prayerlessness. I, I'm telling you, we have not seen it like this. Pastor and I was just talking about it. We've not seen so many people fall back into the old life, the old sin pattern over the last six months than we have in the whole time of, of ministering. People are returning back to that, that old way, the, the, the sinful nature, the, the addiction. I'm telling you, that in a time where we see all hell breaking loose and the world unraveling, Christians are disintegrating because why there isn't that intimacy with God? There is not that desire to uh, to seek God. I'm telling you, I've been disappointed. I'm gonna be honest with you. Let me be transparent. Um, I've been disappointed. There there are people who I would see regularly who would come for morning worship, and I know we talk about this a lot. Who would come for prayer? Who would come? Who were who were pressing in and, and and now cannot be found. Now. We'll get there when we feel like it. Now, it's, there's not that hunger. I was just thinking about it as we sang that song tonight. And I was, my heart couldn't help but go back to, you know, the first rend the heavens. When there was such a presence of God in this place, when there was such an energy, where there was such a hunger for God, where there was tears and you, and God was just doing many things. And I was thinking it and God just put it on my heart. Hey, it is, it, we, sometimes we put so much weight on, on like, on our pastor. I was thinking about Pastor Shane tonight. It isn't his job to light the fire in you. You guys, we should come in here so on fire for God that this is just a continuation of what God has been doing in our lives the whole week. And I'm telling you, listen to me. Hey, I was convicted about this. Because I haven't wanted, I haven't wanted to be here. I took this last week off. Pastor said you could take this week off as far as early morning worship. But I was convicted when we stepped in here and Pastor opened up the book of Revelation and, and I realized that we truly are living in the last days. And this is the time where we've got to, the real 
church needs to stand up, where we need to get serious about God, not back away, not go through the motions, not coast through, not put it on cruise control. And I just, I felt like I needed to say something tonight, church, and I know this is the Wednesday night crowd. I know many of you are, are on fire. You are loving God. You are staying faithful. And I'm not, I'm not saying that that we are, you know, in sin if we miss a week of, of morning worship. I'm not saying that, but I want you to just ask the Lord to reveal to you, is, is the fire waning in you like we are all prone to? Are, are we still in love and pursuing Christ? Or are we going back to the old ways? Because we are called to be salt, like I said, but we're also called to be light. You know, what light does, it exposes the darkness. It exposes, it shines brightly. And it, it shines the light. And, and we, we are so important because if we were the people that God calls us to be, then those who are in darkness, they will be convicted by our testimony. There will be a, an impact. You know, you can go into the darkest of places and you just light a match. That's all you need to light that whole area. And it just takes one. I just want to encourage somebody tonight. You may seem like you're the only one in your family. You're the only one who's standing for Christ. I want to encourage you to keep standing. Keep letting your light shine for God. Because it matters. I heard about a little boy. He was talking to his dad. And, and uh, his dad uh, was having this conversation, and, and the boy asked the question. He said, did Grandpa make you go to Sunday school when you were my age? And his father said, he sure did, every Sunday. The boy, sadly, he said to his dad, well, I bet it won't make any difference in my life either. <sighs> I read that, and it just convicted me. It is not enough, church family, in times like this just to go to church. We must live out our faith. So, so the psalmist is remembering what God had done, his past victories. They did not gain possession of the promised land through their sword, through their victories. But it was because of the favor of God. God did it. God showed them uh, his power. And I don't know about you, but I want... To see God's power and favor in my life and in this, in this generation. But I want you to see next, tonight, the psalmist continues. He's gonna, he's believing God for future deliverance. He's believing God for future deliverance. Look at verse number four. He says, You are my king, O God. Command victories for Jacob. Through you we will push down our enemies. Through your name, we will trample those who rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, nor shall my sword save me. But you have saved us from our enemies and have put to shame those who hated us. In God, we boast all day long and praise your name forever, Selah. I want you to see he's believing God for future deliverance. He says, you are my king, O God, command victories for Jacob. The psalmist was blessed by his father's testimonies and of those of the past of God's great works. But he was burdened to see God do something in his own day. He was, he was, he was moved to pray so that God would move in his current uh, circumstances. 
And so he prays that God would command victories for Jacob. He's speaking of his nation, Israel. He says that, God, you, you will push down our enemies. I'm so thankful that the battle is the Lord. I'm so thankful that I don't have to win the victory. This psalmist understood this. He said his, his prayer, it was energized with faith. He, was, he had bold confidence in God. He believed uh, that God would answer his prayers and that certainly they would see the victory. He said, you will push down our enemies. You will push them down. What the picture there is that of a, it's a, it's a literal uh, picture of, of a, like, for example, a, a, a bison or a, a, or some type of a horn animal like a buffalo. I grew up in Denver, Colorado, and sometimes out in the, in the plains of Denver, you see buffalo. Big creatures, massive creatures, right? And when a buffalo would hit something, whether it be a car, another, you know, animal, it, that was, it was, it was over, right? And so what he was saying is that God was going to push down like a buffalo when it would charge, when it would hit something. The imagery here is that of God with his brute force, with his fierce uh, charge, he would destroy their adversaries and trample them. And I want you all to know this. It may seem like the enemy is gaining ground. It may seem like our enemies are triumphing over us for just a space of time. But God will have the final say. God will win, will win the victory. And we got to believe that. we got to believe that. I don't know about you, but as I was thinking about this this week, it put a little pep in my step. It reminded me that I'm on the winning side. That I, it doesn't matter if it's in the if it's seemingly in a season where we are taking loss after loss, but God is going to find He's going to He's going to trample our enemies. He's going to win. He says in verse number six, I want you to see this: For I will not trust in my bow nor in my sword to save me. He said, I'm not trusting in my ability. I'm not trusting in my skill. I'm not trusting in my weaponry. I'm not trusting in anything save your power alone, God. See, in warfare, which we are in spiritual warfare, I want you to know this tonight. I don't care where you're at in life. You're in a spiritual warfare. I was reminded of it this week. Once again, Spiritual warfare, it's real. If you're going to do anything for Christ, expect opposition. Expect spiritual warfare. You ever feel it? You ever just, you, you just know it in the atmosphere? You step into a room, you just, you just sense, and then, you know, things start going haywire. You ever experience that? Anybody? <laughs> it's just me? But that spiritual warfare, God has promised that he will fight the fight for us. And this psalmist is saying, I'm trusting in you, God. You will give the victory. You will bring us through this. You will bring us out. He says, you have saved us from our enemies. So he praises God for past victories. He, he, he believes that God is going to do it again. The psalmist didn't speak of God as if he hadn't done anything in his own generation. He had experienced God. And each and every one of us tonight, at some point, we have experienced God and what he is able to do in his power. He says, in God, we boast all day long. 
and praise your name forever. I want you to just get that. He, his focus was on God. He said, I'm, I'm going to boast on you, God. And, and I love the, the song where it says, I will not boast in anything, no gift, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. What are you boasting tonight? Hopefully it's God and the victories that he's wrought. And um, the psalmist is going to praise him for what he has done. And then we see the pause, Selah. And this is very fitting because there's going to be a transition here. He's going to transition. It's seemingly that this psalm is going to continue in its victorious note, but he's going to turn the page and he's going to begin to cry out to God because of his current circumstances. He was in a, he was in a bad place. The nation was in a bad bad place. So I want you to see next the state of dishonor due to disobedience. The psalmist found his nation. He found Israel in a state of dishonor, a state of disarray, a state of defeat because of disobedience. Look what it says, verse number nine. But you have cast us off and put us to shame. And you do not go out with our armies. I want you to see that. Verse number nine. He says, you have cast us off. You have put us to shame. And you do not go out with our armies. The psalmist tells of their condition. God was not fighting for Israel at this point. They were being defeated in battle. And because this was God's people, we know that God had a hand in this because no one has ever defeated God. No one will ever defeat God. But when God took his hand off of Israel because of disobedience, they faced defeat after defeat after defeat. And it was, of course, dishonorable. The psalmist said he, he has cast them off. He has, like, he has put them to shame. These were the armies of the living God. This was God's chosen people, but yet they were losing consistently in battle. See, God had made a covenant with them. God had made a covenant. He he told them in Deuteronomy 28 that if they would fall into sin, if they would continue in disobedience, that he would take his hand off of them, that he would judge them. And this is where they found themselves. They found themselves... Being defeated. Look at verse number 10. You make us turn back from the enemy. They're, they're in retreat. They're not, they're not advancing. Doesn't it seem like the church today is in retreat? I, I was just thinking about this. We have to, we see it that the church is conforming to the world. As the world takes a step away from God, the church gets a little closer to the world. And because we, we're trying to re- and they say everything you can think about to try to justify this. We're trying to reach the world. We, we want them to feel comfortable in the church. We want the world to feel welcome. And, and I'm just here to tell you that these compromises, look where it has gotten us. The church is irrelevant. The church does not have power. The church does not have uh, authority or not taking its spiritual authority in a time like this. And it's a, it looks like we're in a state of dishonor and defeat. It used to be that people feared God. They respected God's people. 
And now we live in a time where it is not so. And so Israel was in that similar circumstance. They were turning back and retreat from the enemy. And it says, and those who hate us have taken spoil for themselves. And um, it's really sad. Their state at this point. He said that God had turned them away. He had cast them off. He had put them to shame. And he, they, they were ashamed uh, before the enemy. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to claim to serve the living God and go out to battle and lose and have to retreat with, my, with our tail between our legs because we have not the power of God. I think many in the church today don't even realize that the Spirit of God has departed from them a long time ago. And so they're going through the motions. And there's no breakthrough. There's no salvation. There's no fruit. There's no spiritual power. And the application today is it is due to disobedience. Disobedience will do this. Sin, willful, unrepented sin will cause the power of God, the favor of God to fall off of our lives. I'm very aware of this in my life. If I were to fall into sin, a pattern of sin, hey, I could be disqualified. I could be put on a shelf. Any of us too. We could make one, uh, a series or one bad decision and it could cause us to not have the power of God, the favor of God for a season. And, and I just want to encourage us to, to, to learn from this. He's saying that, God, you've cast us off. you put us to shame. Uh, our enemies are defeating us. They've taken us for spoil. And he goes on, and this is where the title comes from. You have given us like sheep intended for food and have scattered us among the nations. As I said a moment ago, God allowed this to happen. God allowed his people to be, uh, to be defeated. And I've learned this, folks, that God isn't going to allow us to stay in sin. He's not going to allow us to, to, to grieve the Holy Spirit and just to continue on without there being correction. Any fathers in here tonight? You had a teenager who was coming in just anytime they want to and, and just not listening and just being rebellious. You know, there would, there would, there would naturally need to be some correction, right? Or else the destruction will come. And this is where Israel found itself. God was allowing them to be defeated. They were being scattered. Sold into slavery. I can tell you this was not a pretty season in Israel's history. And I don't want to try to compare Israel to America, but it doesn't it seem like our enemies are even laughing us to what's going right now? We are the laughing stock of the world. We can't even figure out what a woman is. I'm, I watch the news. We have our politicians going on, on national, on, on international stages trying to promote these perverted lifestyles and things and, and people are laughing them to scorn. They're saying, don't bring that over here. We don't believe in that. 
And I can keep going. They're, they're looking at us in, in America, once was feared, once, once was respected in the world stage, and now we are dishonored. Now we are laughed to scorn. Now we are retreating. Now the cartels don't fear killing an American citizen. Now uh, the, they don't fear trying to traffic children in this soil. Now they don't fear anything. Why? Because we've turned our back on God. And his hand is coming off of us. And we're being put to shame. Dollars getting ready to collapse. Hey, if we look at where Israel is and the cause of this was because of their disobedience. And I'm telling you, this is why we are experiencing what we are experiencing. And you say, hey, pastor, how do you know this? Well, I think the principles are very clear in Scripture. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And the nation who rejects him will be, the Bible says, will be turned into hell. You guys seen what's going on just in Chicago this week? Teens going up the street, mobbing, destroying things, beating up innocent women. I'm telling you, we're seeing this, uh, this, this, Casting off of any restraints. We're seeing that. You guys understand that when perversion is left unrestrained, when, 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 when uh, wickedness is, is celebrated rather than uh, reprimanded, I'm telling you, what happens from that is all restraints come off. You open Pandora's box, you can't close it. And I want you to know Israel, Israel in Several seasons in its history, they had become just like the world. They had turned their back on God. They had raised up altars to false gods in Israel. And so God, he was gracious for a long time, but then he said, no, I'm going to judge this. And he judged them. He sent foreign nations to come in and, and to destroy them and to scatter them and It was a sad time. And this is where I believe during one of those seasons, the psalmist is writing this. And um, I just want to encourage us, church, this is why we, as God's people, we're so vital to this nation. We've got to, we, if the world isn't going to press into God, the world isn't going to seek Him, the world isn't going to repent and and seek revival, it's going to, it has to be us. It has to be uh, us and and if you don't do it for yourself, think about your grandchildren. Think about the generations after you. Think about what's at stake. The psalmist he says, "You you have given us up like sheep for intended food, like sheep to the slaughter." They were in a state of dishonor due to disobedience. But I want you to see next tonight. The psalmist. He remained faithful in the season of correction. I want you to know something. God is going to, he'll correct us. But it is our responsibility to stay faithful in that season of correction. To stay grounded in him in the season of correction. Because he will see that and, and one, and he will be merciful because he's merciful. And he's going to restore that which he had to, to take away. And I want you to see this. 
He says, we were faithful in the season of correction. Look at verse 17. All this has come upon us, but we have not forgotten you. Nor have we dealt falsely with your covenant. I want you to notice that statement. He says, all this has happened, all this has come upon us, but we haven't forgotten you. The psalmist was careful to tell God that despite of them feeling like they had been forsaken, that they had not departed from God. They remembered him, and they remained faithful to his covenant. I want you to know that that mention of the covenant was intentional. He is reminding God, not that he needs it, but he is reminding God that he had made a covenant with them. He had made that promise to them that he would be their God, that he would deliver them from their enemies as they obeyed him, as they submitted to him, that he would fight their battles. And he promised an obedient Israel that he would curse those who would curse them and he would bless those that would bless them. And I want to encourage us tonight. Hey, God will save America for a righteous remnant. God will do the impossible if there is a group of people, if there is people who are seeking him with all of their heart. I truly believe that God will move, that he will see us being faithful even in the season of correction. Now, there were men and women in this psalmist day who walked with God, who were faithful to them. But, of course, there were those around them who were not. So there, there were those who were uh, who were a part of God's correction who necessarily wouldn't be uh, the cause of it. But God still in that was faithful. He still had a plan through these seasons. And, and, and I'm telling you tonight, right now, we are in America, and, and we're living in a time where it seems like God is He's going to, or he, He's already judging this nation. And I'm telling you, what we have to be determined right now, what we have to decide in our hearts right now is that we're going to be faithful to God, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it costs us, no matter how difficult it might be in the days ahead. And just remember that he, he is faithful. He will keep his word. He will keep his promises. He says, all this has come to us, but we haven't forgotten you. We haven't forgotten your covenant that you made with us. He's pleading with God to be faithful to his part of the covenant Because Israel had finally, I think, after feeling the effects of sin, feeling the judgment of God, I believe that they had got themselves in order. And this is where I'm praying for the Church of America, that we would see what's going on around us, that we would be grieved to our spirit. We'd be grieved to the point that we will seek God, that we would would be intentional in how we pray and how we live and and be faithful to him so that God sees that and heals our land. Anybody else praying that way? I'm 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 not giving up. I believe the Lord has us in this season to wake us up. And if we aren't going to wake up now, I, I don't know what it's going to take. And they said, we haven't forgotten you, but he says, our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Now, of course, he was not claiming perfection for the nation, but he believed that as a whole, Israel was still committed to God in their heart and in their 
actions now. They had experienced the correction of God, but now they were walking faithful with God in the season of correction. And I've learned this, you know, sometimes when you have to deal with your children, you see, you know that the correction needs to end when you see a change in their heart. When you see that they they have submitted to your will in the matter. When you see that they, okay, dad, I understand. Okay, mom, we uh, we are going to obey. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. I teach my kids. I try to instill this into them respect and, and you know, and, and just to be who God has called them to be. But none of us do it perfectly. But I, I can always tell the shift in my children when it's when it's gotten through to them. And I want you to know God, He's going to correct us. But I promise you, when He sees a change in our heart, when He sees us uh, re- repent, when He sees us humble ourselves before Him, He will stay His hand. And He will restore. And usually after a season of correction, God will embrace us. It's often when I have to correct one of my kids that shortly after they'll be ripe next to me. They want to be close to me. And, um, and I'm thankful for that, but I, I understand that because I've experienced it with God. Has God ever corrected you? And then you get it right. And then now the fellowship is restored. Now that we've dealt with this, now we can have fellowship. I was reading to my kids the Bible in First John. It says, if you say that you have fellowship with God and you walk, with, walk in darkness, you lie. <laughs> you don't, and the truth is not in you. And I want us to just get that tonight. We sang it tonight that he's holy. Well, I think that God is looking for a people who's holy, right? I think that's somewhere in the book. Be holy as I am holy. And I believe until we are seeking holiness, that we will have a disruption in the fellowship with God. You, you won't have a desire for prayer. I'm telling you, the reason why some of us don't have a desire for prayer, that we don't, we don't really want to worship, the reason why we really don't have a hunger for the Word of God, is because there's a disruption there. There's something that has replaced God. There's something in between God and us. There's some, there's something that is sin. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but a, but a good thing in the wrong place is a bad thing. I want to encourage somebody tonight. I don't know who that's for. Maybe you're trying to press into God and it seems like nothing is working. Ask God to reveal to you, God, is there something in my heart that I haven't dealt with? Is there something that I have not surrendered to you, God? Is there an area that I have refused to deal with, that I have compartmentalized? You know, we as men, we're very good at compartmentalizing. God, I'm good in this area. I'm good in this, this, this. But God, let's not talk about that closet. Anybody have uh, that drawer in your house where you just throw everything in and you clean the whole house, but that drawer is just a mess, right? Well, with God, he's gonna, he sees what's in that. Compartment. He sees what's in our life there. He sees the sin that so easily besets us. And he wants us to do business with him about it. He wants us to forsake it. I don't know about you, but fellowship with Jesus is far sweeter than any of the temporal pleasure of sin. And, and we all know what, what happens when we, we cave into that sin. Afterwards, there's, re, there's regret. There's, there is, it never fulfills long term. But let me tell you, fellowship with God is always fulfilling. 
It always fills the need. It always restores the soul. It always strengthens us. And I just want to encourage us tonight to be faithful. Maybe right now you're in a season of correction. Maybe right now your wife said you can't come home. Maybe right now, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I know it in a room this size. There's somebody who God has been... And you're still, you haven't relented. You haven't broken. You have not repented. And I'm telling you, repentance leads to restoration of fellowship. And when the fellowship is right, hey, there's nothing that you and I can't face. There's nothing that we cannot see God move in. There's nothing. And I'm telling you, it may be a small compromise, I'm on this thing I'm, I've been trying to do. Maybe you guys have heard about it. It's a 75-day challenge. I, I started to fall back into an old pattern myself with sugar. I, my wife would send me to the store, and I, 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 I've, had the, I've had the shopping list, right? But then I see that, that candy bar, and I grab that. You know, they put it right there, at, you know. And, you know, you do that three or four times. Next thing I knew, it was two straight weeks where every time I was going to the store... And then I was caving in on, I was caving in on more sugar, and it was just getting out of control. And God convicted me of that. So I'm doing a 75-day challenge where I'm not going to eat sweets uh, for 75 days, right? I'm trying to fast from sweets. Y'all pray for me. I literally had a headache yesterday, and I know what it was from. Anybody been there? I literally had a headache. I couldn't, I don't ever get headaches, but yes, I was like, I know what it is. It's been, it's been a couple of days and I haven't had refined sugar. And so God may be dealing with you with something that little, or you might be dealing with you something a lot larger. Whatever it is, allow him to have his way with you. You submit to him and then he's going to restore that fellowship. He said, if uh, verse number 20, he goes on, he says, if we had forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a foreign God, would not God search this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet, for your sakes, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as, sleep, as sheep for the slaughter. So he's once again revisiting the fact that he believes, to the best of his knowledge, that Israel now was in a state of faithfulness before God. And that uh, if they were to stretch out their hands, you see, oftentimes in, in that culture, when they would pray to little idols that were, they would fashion with their own hands, they would stretch out their hands like we would to God to these idols. And what he was saying is, God, we did not stretch it. We are not stretching out our hands to these foreign gods. We, we have not forgotten your name. We are still seek, we are seeking you now, God, and, and you would know it if we were, uh, going away from you in our hearts and you search the heart. You see the heart. You know the secrets of the heart. I was reminded of that, uh, today, uh, that God sees my heart. Yay. Intentions matter to God. What's going on inside of our heart, it matters to God. And I'm talking about not just this organ. I'm not talking about our heart. When the Bible says our heart, it is our consciousness. It's who we are in the utter, the deepest part of us. It's who, uh, what we love, what, what's our uh, passion, where, where we are with Him. And the desires, the seat of desire is where our heart is. And so God, He searches the hearts of men. And God knows tonight. Who has a heart for him? 
who is seeking his face, who not perfectly, but is pursuing him passionately. And I want you to know we all fall off, but it's to get back up again. The Bible says a just man falls seven times, but he gets back up again. I'm not here to beat anybody down. I'll be the first to admit that there are times I had to, I, I confessed to my children. I said, hey, you know, daddy, you know, he's been struggling about getting up like he should and, and spending as much time with God as he once did. And I, I told them, hey, kids, this week we're turning off the TV. Oh, they've been having withdrawals. <laughs> Ask my wife. They're like, they don't know what to do with themselves. You know, they, we let them, you know, get on the YouTube a little too much. <laughs> I'm being transparent and they just, first thing in the morning, you know, they'll turn on that TV and, and so I, I've been preaching. I've been trying to set that example. First thing in the morning, the first person we talk to is Jesus. The first time, the best part of our day to Jesus. And now I, and God put on my heart that the last part of my day, instead of watching Sports Center, I've been watching The Chosen. And I've been crying and my, you know, going to sleep with Jesus on my mind. And, uh, then waking up hungry to, to read His scripture once again, to, to press into Him. And I, I don't know who needs to hear this tonight. Hey, but we've got to, we've stretched out our hands to foreign gods in, in our hearts at times. Sometimes we stretch out, you know, first thing in the morning, you stretch out your hand, you get that phone. That's a foreign God. You put, you're putting that before God. And I, God convicted me of that. You know, whatever it might be, let's get our hearts right. Let's, let's do business with God. Let's not just go through these seasons where we're just, we're not pursuing Him like we should. And, um, he goes on, he, he says, we haven't forgotten your name, God. We haven't. We have sought you now, Lord. You would know if we didn't. But I want to see lastly, and we're going to be done tonight. After he speaks to God and, and he cries out to him, he's going to cry out for redemption. You see, a lot of people cry out for redemption before repentance. Listen to me. You want God to fix it, but God says, no, deal with that first. God, fix my marriage. No, you deal with this. We talk to men all the time. They, they say, oh, okay, I'm ready to reconcile my wife. Wife split with them, and I'm ready to reconcile with my wife. And, and um, why is she not doing it right now? And we're like, no, you haven't dealt with your pride, your controlling nature, your manipulative uh Tendencies. You haven't dealt with dealt with all this, the damage that you've done. You haven't repented. You haven't you haven't dealt with this. And God is, I believe, the pattern in Scripture. We always see that God He calls us to repent, and then He will redeem. Then He can show up in a humble heart and and do a mighty work in our circumstances. And this is what the psalmist is now doing. He he has acknowledged that they have uh, they have sought God now. They were in a season of correction, but they have gotten their hearts right now. He's going to pray for redemption. Look at verse 23. He says, awake, God, awake. Why do you sleep, O Lord? Arise. Do not cast us off forever. Why do you hide your face? 
Arise, verse 26, arise for our help and redeem us for your mercy's sakes. He, he says to redeem us, God, based upon your mercy. We don't deserve it, but we're, at, but we're claiming your mercy. Hey, the truth is we don't deserve for God to restore, to redeem situations that obviously were caused by our sin. However, he is full of mercy. He has tender mercy and loving kindness for us. He loves you tonight. I want you to know that. And the correction, it isn't punishment. See, I try not to punish my kids. I don't say you're on punishment. (laughs) I correct my children. I see a behavior that will lead to hurt for them, that will lead to destruction in their lives. And as a loving father, I, by the grace of God, I try to deal with that, try to help them through that. And that's what God is. He's our heavenly Father. He's, he, he isn't going to allow us to stay in our sin if you belong to Him. Now, if you don't belong to Him, that's a different story. I don't spank any of your kids, right? God only spanks His kids. And I want to tell you this. If, you're not, if you haven't been spanked, hey, I'd worry. I'd worry. But once you get it right, once we repent, once we confess and forsake it, I, I love, like I told you, we're in First John, and it's just been, it's been just good for me, <laughs> if not for anyone else. I love this verse. It's, it's very common. First John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I was teaching that to my kids, like, he is faithful and just to forgive us. He's faithful to do so. That means every single time we confess, he forgives us. And he's just to do so. Why is he just to do so? Because he paid for our sin on the cross. He shed his royal red blood. I was teaching that to my kids. He is the only one who is just to forgive sin. Because of what he's done for us. And I want to encourage somebody tonight. The psalmist, they were in a bad place. Israel at this time. But he still remembered God's past victories. The testimony of his fathers and his father's fathers. And I want to tell somebody tonight, whether your kids are 2 or 22, keep telling them of what God has done. Your job isn't done yet. Keep testifying of God's power and what he's doing in your life and uh, what he's done in the past and what he will do again. I want to encourage you with that. Dads, do you get more excited about a football game than you do when it comes to talking to your kids about the Lord? Let's get that right. My kids hear me in the room. You know, I was looking at the score before I came in here tonight. Maybe I shouldn't have. Lakers are playing tonight, right? Playoffs. And they are getting beat, right? But my kids have heard me, you know, the Lakers win. I, I clap, I get excited, you know? But I, I, I hope, I, I'm thankful that my kids see, hopefully, that dad has a more of a passion for God than he does for that. 
And I want to encourage us tonight to remember what God has done and to tell it to our kids and to our grandkids and to anyone who will listen for that matter. But he also believed God for future deliverance. He prayed as if it was already done. He, he was not in the season of deliverance yet, but he believed God for it. And maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you're in it right now. Maybe God is spanking you a good one. <laughs> but you're praying for deliverance. You're praying that God will restore what you have broken. Keep praying. Keep believing God for that. And then he goes, he says, you know, he speaks of their current state of dishonor because of disobedience. And I want to remind us, hey, what we need to focus on, each and every one of us, we need to take heed into our own walk with God. Where are we at with God? Are we in a position right now with God where we are walking with him or are we in disobedience? Because sooner or later, disobedience will lead to dishonor in our lives. Private sin always leads to public humiliation. I'm going to tell that to somebody tonight. Even pride. I'm telling you, the most prideful men, we've seen them. They've walked in here prideful. But then a few, just a few, maybe months, a few years down the line, we sadly hear the story. Or we see their wives here, not them. I'm telling you guys, this is this is not me. Private sin doesn't stay private if you belong to God. There will be public, if you don't repent, there will be public consequences. So get right with God before he has to correct you. Before he has to bring it to the surface. Because he will. And it won't be, it won't, <laughs> it won't be pretty. And then he talks to God about how they are now being faithful in the season of correction. So remember, be faithful in this season. Maybe you're in a correction. Be faithful to God. Keep seeking him. Even though things haven't changed, keep seeking him. Get things right with him. And then you can make that that push, that, that prayer for redemption, and he will hear it. God's heart is for restoration. God's heart in correcting us is for that so that we would be conformed to the image of Christ so that we can have the fellowship restored. And tonight, if you feel like your fellowship has been disrupted, you, you feel like you're dry, you feel like there's something in between you and God, your prayers aren't going through, you, you aren't experiencing Him like you once did, you don't feel the fullness of the Spirit, uh, whatever God uh, puts on your heart tonight, I pray that you would do business with Him, that you would forsake whatever it is. It could be, like I said, something as simple as caving in to sugar or gluttony or whatever it might be, whatever God puts on your heart tonight. I want to encourage us to do business with Him. 